Over the past three weeks, we've been talking about grace and, uh, and really a double portion of grace that's coming upon the body of Christ. And uh, last night, I had a great dream, um, and I dreamed that we were, we were crossing over, and I was with a whole body of people, and I was crossing over into this place, and then I would come back. And then I would cross over, and I would come back, and it's the new place that we're all going. And I, and I said, and, and I realized after I was crossing back and forth, I realized that what was allowing me to go in was the Word of God. And so the Lord showed me a scripture, and I wanted to share it with you this morning. Turn your Bibles to um, Hebrews 11.1. 1. And... Um, very interesting because this scripture is what we actually went through in the dream. I love dreams and um, because you can do things in dreams that you don't do here. You don't, you, you don't actually walk through words. But we were walking through these words, and these words were the key for us to get into the new place. And there was a, it, what was interesting in the dream is that there was a feminine aspect to these words, um, which to me speaks of intimacy and love. Um, 11.1, Hebrews 11.1, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of the things which are visible. Okay, I'm going to read, number, I'm going to read verse 3 again. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. I believe God is saying that this is our key to enter into the greater glory that's coming upon us. And I believe that the, that the question for us is that do we have the courage to really believe. Because it takes courage to walk in this. It takes courage for us to really um, say that, that, that the word of God is true and that every man is a liar. The word of God is true. And no matter what our circumstances are, the word of God is true. And I believe that there's so much in the Word of God that has shown us these invisible attributes in these invisible places that we walk in. And we get sick in our bodies and we get sick in our hearts because we've taken our eyes off of the truth. And we begin to believe something that's not true. The battle is over the truth. The battle is over the Word of God. Can we all agree on that? And everything in your life is going to come against you to try to get you to not believe in the Word of God. And so I believe this morning what he was saying to me last night, and we were having such a good time while we were doing this, but it took courage for us to believe in something that we don't even see. I, had a, um, I was having a conversation with a, a father in the faith. And he was telling me, you know, we have to be very careful not to say that Christ 
has to do something more for us so that we can be something more because he did everything for us at the cross. And that is, that is 100% truth. Christ died and everything that needed to be done happened in that moment. There's no more price for him to pay. However, it's on our part that we would appropriate the fullness that Christ died for. So what we need is we need a revelation of Jesus to its fullness and not stop at the place of immaturity in the word. And I believe that today, in the Western world, there are many that haven't preached the fullness of the truth of God. And so we have a crippled church, and we have an immature church. So therefore, we look around us, and you can tell the level of maturity a lot of times in a, in a culture because you see which direction a culture is going. You see a, a culture that's vibrant with life and holiness or, uh, is a culture multiplying and, and increasing in love, increasing in holiness, increasing in purity, increasing in, in brotherhood, or is a culture dying and, and actually drawing into itself? And I believe that what's happening in the Western world, because we haven't preached the fullness of the gospel, I think we're seeing a culture that's actually beginning to die. But there's hope because God leaves a seed and he leaves a remnant in the land. And as we begin to believe in the truth of the word of God, we will cross over into the promised land. We will be... Like the Jake, like the Caleb's and the Joshua's, and we will cross over and we'll say, "Listen, we don't believe what we see, but we believe what we know is truth, because He said it." And so, this whole thing that we've been doing over the past four weeks has been about accessing a grace that allows us to live in a supernatural realm that the world doesn't understand. And that our lifestyle actually to the world looks insane. Most of the time, I look like I'm crazy. The the choices that I've made for my life are choices based on what God has said, not in order to advance my life or advance my reputation or to advance my pocketbook. He says, we do. He leads, we follow. We become one with the word, walking into the greater glory of God. Amen? So turn in your Bibles to Romans 8, 15. We're going to start there. This is the last, like I said, this is the last of the um, four-part series. And, the, and I've really talked about, um, uh, through the first three, really the process of justification, sanctification, and glorification that he talks about in Romans. And how we can access this place of grace 
in order that we can grow in hunger and we can grow up out of immaturity and into the place of maturity. That we would be no longer children that are, that are thrashed about and thrown about by every wind of doctrine and by the deceitfulness of man. But we can be steady and sure and we understand that when God says move, we leave the land that, he, that we've been inhabiting and we move to the other land. We become like our father Abraham and we walk in these greater levels of grace. And as he told me in my dream last night, and he, 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 he specifically said in this scripture, which is the beginning of him talking about the fathers of faith. And we must believe even though we don't see. So when he says go, what do we do? Go. So when he says go, what do we do? Go. So in Romans, today we're going to talk about the place of the mature sons. Because if we don't hear this, if we don't begin to believe that this is available for us, then we won't begin to press in for it. And if we don't hear it, then we can't believe it. If we don't have a revelation of it, then we can't believe it. Because the word of God is true and we have to press in for the greater truth. Now, a lot of people have said here in this, in in the mature sons, that there's a theology about the sons of, manifest sons of God. And um, I didn't know that there was such a doctrine. I just was reading my Bible, and, um, and it talks about us becoming sons and us walking in this incredible greater works glory. And um, so I'm reading the word, and I believe that there's there was some misappropriation of, in in the the theology of sonship and the understanding of our sonship, and 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 so I think whenever God releases something, there is a time and a season for that, and there are people that get the release earlier than it's planned to be on the earth, and a lot of times they'll take it. And they'll try to create a doctrine around it that may take it too far. And I believe that that's what happened um, 50 years ago when God began to, when, when they began to get a hint that this in fact was true, that we were called to be the sons of the kingdom and walk in this level of glory. But the word of God says that we will taste of the good word and the power of the age to come. In Hebrews 6. So if it says it, then we know that that's possible, that there will be a level that we can access from the, the, the age to come, which is the place of the millennial reign, right? Are y'all following me? And so I want to I wanna come to you and I want to present this to you in a very measured way. But I'm telling you, beloved, that this is available for us to walk in. And this is actually what's coming. And when I say, when I, when I talk about revival, and when we've been talking about that this is the glory, we're going to step in, I mean the grace, we're going to step into this level of double portion of grace that's available to us unto revival. This place of revival is not God, you know, there's not going to be like fairy dust that's going to fall on us. This isn't, 
It, it, this isn't going to be like an outpouring like you saw at Brownsville or an outpouring that you saw at Azusa. This is actually going to be a shift in the way that we worship and the way and who we are in God. And so there's a there's something that's coming. And, and the angel of the Lord came to Mike Bickle and he said this to him that I'm going to change the expression of Christianity in one generation. Well, who expresses Christianity? Christians. So what's he going to do? Change us. So what's coming is we're about to step into this place where we fully believe who we are, and then we begin to access the greater realms of glory so that we can carry them to everyone in the earth. That's where this harvest is coming from. Those of us who grow up and mature into the place that we are created to be by God. Because we are waiting for him, and who He is he waiting for? He's waiting for us. As he said to uh, Paul Keith Davis, somebody down there better get some authority with me and fast. Romans 8, 15 through 17. Sorry, I'm not there yet. All right. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs and heirs of God. And I'm sorry. Uh, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. So what he's saying here is if we function in the law, we're actually receiving the law. And we are going to be in bondage. And we all know that because we experience it whenever we try to fix ourselves, right? Whenever we try to discipline ourselves. And I'm not saying discipline's not good because I'm all for discipline. My son can tell you that. Uh, and my grandson. And, um, but we have to submit ourselves to the, to the spirit of grace because we cannot, as I've said before, justify ourselves, we cannot sanctify ourselves, and we cannot glorify ourselves. And so we really do have to yield ourselves to the spirit of grace, because when we start yielding ourselves to the spirit of the law, we actually get afraid, and we get into the place of fear. And Jesus said, I, I, I've got to go, because when I go, I'm going to leave you the comforter so that you won't be afraid. And I'm going to leave you the helper so that he can lead you into all righteousness. And so he's got us in this place where he's going to give us everything that we need in order to succeed. We just have to get out of the driver's seat. And stop trying to control and, motive and, 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 and manipulate and, and drive it. And we know when we're driving, when what? When we get in fear. Because the ways of God are the ways of peace, right? And, 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 and it's the thing of, it's the place of rest. And he says this here, he says that the spirit of grace will actually bear witness that we are his children. And um, I was, I, I got the opportunity to spend some time with my grandson 
and my granddaughter the past couple of days, and I love being with them because it reminds me about how I'm supposed to be with my father in heaven. He tells us, I want you to be like children, because if you will be like children, then you will qualify to be an heir. So when I say something to Judah, no matter what it is, I have this intimate love relationship with him. He's two years old. He's fully dependent on my love. He doesn't question my love for him, whether I'm disciplining him or or giving him a cookie. Either way, he knows that I love him. And so in this relationship that we have with God, it's a love relationship that we have. And sometimes he has to discipline us, and other times, you know, he's handing us a cookie. But his love is absolute. And so I come to God fully dependent on him to care for me, to lead me, and to help me in my life. And that's how we're supposed to be like a child with him. And so he said in this place of of childlikeness, I'm going to grow you up into the place of maturity, and you will be a joint heir with my son Jesus. A perfect example of this is when he told the the, um, apostles, his disciples, he said, listen, I'm going to go away, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to Jerusalem, and I want you to wait for the Holy Spirit. And so what did they do? They did exactly what he told them to do. So they were like children, fully dependent on his leading to lead them. What did they not do? They did not go back to their houses and shrink back in fear and start trying to manage their own lives so that they could get to the promise. And so Jesus did what he said he was going to do. But they were in a place where they were having to hope for the invisible. They didn't know what that was going to look like. I mean, we look back and we think, wow, that was so incredible. They had no idea. I'm sure a lot of them had wives going, hey, I have an idea. Why don't you get a job and start making some money? Because you've been following this other guy around. And the relatives, my mom and dad, think you're a complete loser Because, you know, we haven't, you know, we've been living and God's been feeding us manna, but I'm really thinking I want that mansion down the street. I mean, you know that this kind of pressure has to be on them from everybody that they know. And they're like, hey, listen, this is what he said. So I'm going to go to, I'm going to go to the upper room. I'm going to go to this place because he told me to go there. What are you going to do? I'm going to pray. We're all just going to get together, all 120 of us, and we're going to stay in that room together, and we're going to pray. And I looked insane. Because I will guarantee you that the promises of God over your life look impossible. Matthew 18.3, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted, that means to turn and become like little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven in this place of ruling and reigning. He is saying that we have to stop trying to be in charge. 
with all of the cares of an adult and let our dependence on him fully make us a son. This is so easy. It's so easy. And once we start functioning in it, it actually gets even easier. But it's that place of believing that he's good and he has good for us so that when he speaks, all we have to do is follow, just like a kid, just like a kid. That's why when you have a small child and you say, come to me, and he runs from you, you better get, you better get a handle on that because what is he doing? Because there will be a father in heaven that says to him one day, come to me, be obedient to me. And if he acts the opposite of that, he's going to be in big trouble because there's going to be a lot of pain on the other side of it. Amen? How many of you done that? I did it. Come on, whatever. We all did it. So what does a son know that an orphan doesn't? The confidence in who they are and the confidence in their relationship with their dad. This weekend, John is on a hunting trip with Samuel. He just said, you know, I just need some time with my son. And he's putting um, his feet to fathering. And he's spending that one-on-one time with his son so that his son can grow in confidence in who he is as a father. He grows in confidence in his intimate relationship with him. He's growing in confidence in his trust for his leadership over his life. Right? And to those of us who have confidence in our intimate relationships with our natural dads, this process of justification, sanctification, and glorification is actually a lot easier. But those of us who didn't have good dads, it's a lot more difficult. Because we have to trust when we haven't really seen trust from our natural father. We haven't seen that kind of place where we can trust our hearts with him. Romans 8.18 For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And he is talking here about the glory that we will have walking on the earth. For the earnest expectation of creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. The earnest expectation of creation is waiting for you to be revealed. That the sons will grow up into maturity and they all of creation will be looking for you. They are looking for you even now. Bob Jones said this, that when you begin to see creation, meaning um, the intuition of, of animals, when you begin to see them acting opposite of how they would naturally act in the wild, then you know that the sons are about to show up. And I want to tell you that, and he, he compared it to when you see the lions laying in the streets. What are they doing? They're looking for the sons. And recently, in the past few years, they have seen great white sharks in the Gulf of Mexico. And you may ask yourself, why is this important? Well, it's important because it goes completely against the nature of a great white to be in the Gulf of Mexico. The water isn't the temperature that it needs to be. 
and there are a lot of different variables, there are never great whites in the Gulf of Mexico. You've also seen whales spotted in the Gulf of Mexico. Whales are not in the Gulf of Mexico ever, ever. It, it, it goes against their nature because of the way that their breeding patterns are. We've, seen, we've discovered sea creatures that are coming up from the depths of the sea that we never knew even existed because the earth is groaning and shaking and it's causing these sea creatures to come out of the deepest, darkest depths of the ocean and come up. What are they looking for? They are looking for the sons of God because they are beginning to say, it's time. We sense in our hearts that something is coming and they're looking for the sons because what's happening is there's a rumbling happening in a remnant of people. Then they're beginning to say, wait, there is more. There is more available for me and I press in for that place of the more. And the priesthood that has been established is now about to fold into this place of the kings. Because he said, I've come to make you both priests and kings to me. And the kings will actually function in the full authority that God had when he walked on the earth. And he said that we'd be even greater than that. Verse 21, because creation itself will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. I I don't know about you, but I would camp here. I encourage you to camp right here in in chapter 8, verses 18 through 30, and I would just absorb this and eat the word. I would meditate on this day and night until you fully get a a revelation of what Jesus has for you in your own life. Verse 22, For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains together until now. Not only that, but we also who have first fruits of the Spirit, this place of being justified, this place where the Spirit of God comes into you and it comes in in seed form. And he says that we have this first fruit, but if we stay at the place of justification and do not allow that seed to be watered with the word of God, with the Logos word and the Rhema word of God, passing through that place of suffering so that we can be perfected in Christ, then we will stay in the place of seed form. And that seed will never grow into what? It will never grow into the tree of life that lives within you. It will never take root and become a huge tree and branch out so that the glorious oil of the grace of God will spill all over everyone around you. Turn to Ephesians. This is the authority that he's talking about in um, Verse 21, turn to Ephesians 4, 13 through 16. 
He's talking about the equipping of the saints in the fivefold ministry. And so Paul is telling them that there is actually coming in verse 13. He said, there will come an until moment when we all come to the unity of the faith. And he's not talking about all of us getting together. And, and so you've got the Presbyterians and, the, and we're all going to agree. He's not talking about that. He's not saying, okay, the Baptists, the Methodists, the Presbyterians, the Charismatics, the Pentecostals, everybody's going to agree. That's not what he's talking about here. He is talking about the unity of the faith, meaning that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit come together as one in man. He's talking about John 17 here, the last prayer that Jesus prayed before he went to the cross. And he said, I'm going to pray for those that are not here yet. I'm going to pray for those that are coming. I'm going to pray that there would be a oneness of us in them. Just like, Father, I am in you and you are in me. I'm going to pray that there will be a unity of the Godhead in them and there would be an explosion in them. And so he says this. He says, listen, in verse 13, until we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to the perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we shall no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. He is saying that we would grow up into this place of sonship. And we would be made full in this place. That we would not stop in the place of justification. We would not stop in the place, and if all of you have gotten the diagram, we will not stop in this place of immaturity, but we will allow ourselves to grow up. Hebrews 9, 15. For this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. He was the mediator of this new covenant. He had to die once and for all so that we no longer participated in the law, but we actually can ride on everything that he did and the promises that he gave us, that they are true and yes and amen. And he was the first one that went over. He is our brother. And he said, I'm going to do this for you so that now you have a way into the family and you too can be sons of God in the same way that I am a son of God. Because I have now gone and I live in you and as I am you, I have created you into a new man so that you can function in the fullness that I functioned in. John 17, 22, and the glory which you gave me, I have given them that they may be one just as we are one. The point that I'm trying to overmake here is that it's true that we will fully function in this place of the greater glory, on this side. And if we understand that, my people perish for lack of understanding. If we fully lay hold of this and we begin to pray and we begin to set our gaze and we say yes to this reality, then we will begin to function as what? 
vessels of grace. Hebrews 10 says this, Then I said, Behold, I have come in the volume of the book. It is written of me. Hebrews 10, verse 7. You can follow along with me if you want. Behold, I have come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do your will, O God. Previously saying, sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire, nor have pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, which I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away, fulfills, that word actually means to fulfill the first, that he may establish the second. By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. This is not a partial sanctification, but we really do have to say, all right, that's it, I'm done. I'm done. Stick a fork in me. I'm done. I really don't want to do this anymore. I can't, I don't have the ability, I don't have the strength, I'm not that smart. The further I get along this, whoo, feel the heat on that, the further I walk in my walk with God, I realize I'm not really that cool. I'm not really that smart. I'm not really that gifted. I'm not really that talented. And this is not false humility. It's just I can't get myself to where he's taking me. And more than that, I don't want to. Why would I want to take that from him? When it's his privilege and his honor. It's the thing that he died for. So that he could lead. He gave us a great example of this. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew 4. Three, he gave us a great example of this when he was talking to John the Baptist. So he's there and he comes up and John says, Behold, it is the bridegroom. Incredible, the revelation that John had of who Jesus was. He knew, he said, you are going to be our husband. You are going to be the love this place of connectedness. And he saw him as the bridegroom. Verse 14, uh, chapter 3, verse 14. And John tried to prevent him from being baptized. And Jesus said this, I need to be baptized by you. And our, and no, I'm sorry, this was John saying this to Jesus. And John tried to prevent him saying, I need to be baptized by by you, and you are coming to me. And Jesus answered and said, Permit it to be so, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And so he is saying there, I ha- I'm going to go through this exercise because I'm actually showing you about the fulfillment of the law in this process. I'm going to fulfill all righteousness so that you can now see how it's done. And he says this, then he allowed him. Verse 16, when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. 
the spirit of grace descended upon him. And a voice said, this is my son. So he goes through the water baptism. He comes up as the new man. This is God. He didn't have to do this. But he said, I'm doing this because I'm going to show you about this has to be fulfilled. And so he takes them through the process that is the same process that we're going to go through. Then he's baptized with the Holy Spirit, right? So the Spirit of grace comes upon him, just like what happens with each one of you. The seed comes upon you, and then what? That was what? The place of justification. He gets saved by grace. He's God. He didn't have to do it, but he said, I've got to do this so that all things can be fulfilled in this place. And then he goes into what? The wilderness. Well, well in the, to the place of sanctification. And he says this in, in chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit. Who was he led by? Did he go, well, I think it's going to be a good idea now that I go fast for 40 days because I want to start my ministry. No. He was led by the Spirit. And so he is a good son. And he knows that he's fully dependent on the leadership of his father. And so he said, okay, I'm led. God told me to go. I'm going to go out into the wilderness. And I don't know where that is. Is it the desert? I don't know. To be tempted by the devil. What? How does this agree with any kind of American gospel doctrine, Santa Claus, Jesus doctrine, Because he said, I'm going to fulfill this because as I have overcome, you will overcome. And when he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, afterwards he was hungry. So what happens when he is at his weakest point? When you are at your weakest point, what's going to happen? He's going to come. And he's going to strengthen you to withstand the wiles of the enemy. Because who is Satan? He's a liar. He's a liar. He's been lying forever. He's got a lot of experience lying, and he knows just the lies to tell you to try to cause you to get weary in your heart and to give up hope. So what did Jesus do? He said, okay, I'm going to show you about this process of sanctification and this dungeon that you are in. And this time of turmoil that you're in, oh, wait, you lost all your money? Wait, you lost your job? All of your relationships are beginning to, everybody's coming against you? Oh, this is awesome. You are being made into a son. When persecution comes, we need to celebrate. And we need to get the word of God in us and begin to declare the word of God over our lives. Listen. Repeat, listen, repeat. That's all we have to do. It's really, a a kid could do it. My grandson could do it. It's like, okay, God says this, now repeat it. Oh, look how well you did that. All right? Now, when the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. So the first two times that he's tempted, Satan says what? If you are the son of God. So what is he saying? He's he's testing him in his sonship, saying, oh, wait, you're not really a son. 
God doesn't really love you. He's not really going to take care of you. He's not who he says he is. He's not a good father. And so he comes to you in the place where you trust God when you started into this, and it was all fun and everything, and there was the dove, and you got saved, and, you know, woo, honeymoon. Well, then you go into the wilderness, and you're like, wait a minute. Is God who he says he is? But This is what he said to me. Do I really believe it, or don't I believe it? Because Satan's saying this, but God is saying this, and do I believe? And that's where the place is where, he, where he's growing you up. You have to hold on to that word of God saying, I will die with this word of God gripped in my hands, and I will not leave this place no matter how many times you tell me that God is a liar. And then the last time that Satan comes to Jesus, what does he do? He talks to him about his authority. He couldn't get him off of the sonship. And so then he begins to test him in the place that he knows he's about to go. Here's the place that you are. You are a son. He came and he's going to test you in that place of your sonship. Now, I do not want you to go into the place of the greater glory. I do not want you to go into the place of your authority. So therefore, I'm going to tempt you in that place. Those promises aren't for you. You're not going to walk in this. And so he said, come worship me, because if you'll worship me, I'll give you all these things. And this wilderness time will be over for you. But pressing in in that place, and so Jesus did exactly what he told us later. If you want to be sanctified, you do it by what? Come on, you were here the last three Sundays. The word. The washing of the word. And so Jesus showed us the place of sanctification in the wilderness with the washing of the word. And he spoke the word of God to the demon, to Satan. And he said, this is the truth. The word of God is the truth. And you are a liar. And so guys, we need to get this word of God in us so that when Satan shows up, we can say, shut your mouth. How many times have you guys said that? I say it all the time. He's knocking on my door every day, every day. He is knocking on your door every day. And Jesus said this, there was not a throne. There was not a place in my soul where he, Satan could come, become enthroned. He said, Satan found nothing in me. Because he was willing to war with the word. And so, guys, this is the place of sonship. This is the place that is going to be so incredibly offensive to the rest of the world. And if you weren't here the past couple of Sundays, I really encourage you to get the message of grace and to listen to it and get, us, get the message of grace in you. Because if we can lay hold of this, I'm telling you, we will begin to walk over into this new realm of glory. We will be vessels of grace that carry the glory of God. We will become vessels of grace that carry the word of God. But it's going to take courage for you to believe. And I'm telling you more than ever, America needs the sons of God to begin to lay hold of everything that we can become. 
The harvest is upon us. And the question is, will it be us who carry the greater weight of glory?